0: The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah, Run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome to Besides Still Waters. I'm really glad you could
1: join me today as we talk about a subject that is of great importance, and that is the glorious appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ his second coming. As you know, this podcast is devoted to helping Christians from all denominations develop a genuine, life-changing relationship with God. And that is living with the consciousness that I, you, we are holding the hand of God through every circumstance in our life. And that goal doesn't change whether we're dealing with uh, end time events or just the normal course of affairs as we live day by day, go to work and raise our families. So if you recall from our last podcast, uh, we were dealing with Matthew 24, which uh, the Lord Jesus was responding to uh, questions and statements by his disciples concerning the beauty of the temple. And the Lord used that opportunity to um, educate his disciples concerning the end of Gentile dominion on the earth. And uh, that time frame brings us to the forefront of what I consider to be very extraordinary developments, uh, such as uh, societal anarchy, which is unprecedented. In fact, the Lord Jesus said that those days would have to be shortened so that the very elect would survive Uh, and we will see the breakdown or have seen the breakdown and dissolution of familial relationships uh, demonic worship uh, natural disasters on an unprecedented scale uh, a host of divine judgments uh, the immediate disappearance of millions of christians which may trigger the onset of a lot of these events in the seven last years of gentile dominion uh, the, the rise of a uh, final ten-nation confederacy of, of, of powers, if you will, which, were, which was foretold by the prophet Daniel as well as uh, John and some of the other sacred writings of the prophets. Uh, but this rise, this ten-nation confederacy is the precursor to the uh, millennial kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, the subject that we're dealing with today, the glorious appearing, the uh, parousia of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in Matthew uh, 24 and and at about verse 22, the Lord Jesus alludes to the last three and a half years of the tribulation, uh, indicating that this will be a most distressing time and it will also result in catastrophic loss of life to the extent as I mentioned before, that it necessitated God shorten those days or else no human being would survive. However, the purpose of shortening those days was to preserve the 144,000 Jewish sealed believers who became the, uh, the, uh, the, um, if you will, the evangelists of the day. And of course, also for preserving the remaining one-third of the nation of Israel who survived the Antichrist's persecution. And the Lord Jesus says, but on account of the elect, those days shall be cut short. And so the Lord Jesus also told of uh, the prolific rise of false Christs and false prophets having the ability to perform great signs and wonders with the intent of uh, misleading uh, human beings. The true target being the elect, of course, and the the sealed Jewish believers, uh, who I mentioned were essentially the last evangelists on the earth. And so these events find their culmination in one of the greatest events on the face of the earth equal to the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ as God's lamb that would, as John said, take away the sin of the world. This event is the great and glorious second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ from heaven. Marvelous topic, filled with encouragement, strengthening our hearts. The glorious appearing the glorious appearing. The Lord Jesus creates for us a vivid description of his second coming and the surrounding events. Firstly, it will be distinct and unmistakable. There's nothing like it. Scripture tells us that every eye will see him coming. Jesus even said in Matthew 24 and 27 that that uh, for as the lightning goes forth from the east and shines to the west so shall the coming of the son of man be he's coming from heaven my friends he's heaven is being if you will torn open <laughs> and jesus is coming forth even daniel alluded to his heavenly origin okay heaven is the point of departure when daniel gave nebuchadnezzar King Nebuchadnezzar, his, his dream and the interpretation. Daniel said in the second chapter, in the 33rd verse uh, and 34th, that uh, this, this, this statue, this, this edifice, that it had legs of iron, its feet part iron, part clay, and I'm just, I'm just sort of capsulating for our, our uh, podcast because there's a lot to cover. And he told the king, you saw until a stone was cut out without hands. Without hands. And it smote the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. And then Daniel goes on to say in the 44th verse of that same chapter, and in the days of these kings, those, those 10 kings that I mentioned to you, shall the God of the heavens set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the sovereignty shall be left shall not be left to another people the point here is the lord jesus is giving his followers the fulfillment of daniel's prophetic word about the god of heaven setting up a kingdom on the earth and this kingdom had a, a heavenly origin second major point is this the second coming is going to be a physical reappearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. He ascended into heaven and was foretold by the angels that just as he ascended into heaven, shall he return from heaven. And you find it in Acts 1 and 11. The angel said to the disciples, you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. And so the glorified, resplendent Lord Jesus Christ is going to be returning from heaven with his angels and the saints. Now, some would make fun of the fact that, that the Bible calls Christians saints. But these are believers who have been redeemed by his blood, and they will rule and reign with him in his millennial kingdom. Thirdly, the timing of this event is at the very end of the tribulation period. Because Jesus says in the same Matthew 24 and 29, that is, Verse 29, but immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And this will be the only time that people will be able to, if I could say it tongue in cheek, predict when Christ will be coming back. All they needed to do was count from the beginning when the Antichrist will make a seven-year political agreement with the nation of Israel, and that begins the countdown of this seven-year clock. Some of my friends uh, told me in conversation, in their opinion, that the reason why uh, every eye will see him is because people will have cell phones and, and, you know, the modern technological contraptions of our day and they'll be able to capture this in any part of the world. But that is not the case, my friends. Don't kid yourself. That is not the case. (laughs) That's nonsense. The scripture tells us that the God who created the physical universe shuts off the light of the sun and the light of the moon to the point where it has no light to give, no effect. And at that point, the entire universe and Earth will be consumed in deep darkness. With that as the backdrop, what is about to happen will be seen by every eye on Earth. Why? Because the conditions have been perfectly prepared for the heavens to break open at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in his resplendent glory for rulership and judgment of the earth. The Lord Jesus continues in this glorious event in verse 30 by saying, uh, continues his dialogue, that is, uh, that the sign of the Son of Man shall appear in heaven. Then all the tribes of the land shall lament and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And I have to say to you, this is a wonderful prophetic word of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whatever sign, and scripture doesn't tell us what this sign, uh, the sign of the Son of Man is, and I'm not even going to speculate. It makes no difference, because the point is, folks will know, the God of heaven gives everyone clear knowledge, clear awareness, open eyes that Jesus is the one who is coming. And he does so with an army of saints and a angelic hosts, who are also in resplendent glory. So I ask you, well, well, you know, what do we know about his army, those of us who are coming with him? Okay, what do we know? What does the Bible tell us? Well, Zacharias, that is the prophet in chapter 14, states that Jehovah my God shall come and all the holy ones with you. Christians who have died in Christ or raptured prior to this seven year time of trouble are returning with Him. And what we're seeing, based on the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ, is the earth's last survivors begin to, if you will, beat their chests in grief and terror because they realized. That the judgment of earth is about to commence. The moment when people stand before the Lord Jesus Christ has finally come and there is no escape from this judgment. So you ask yourself, how is it that everyone on earth will see him since he's coming back as a physical entity And as such, he can only be at one point in the heavens at any one time. Hence, if he's at the, for example, at the easternmost point, when those at the westernmost point obviously won't see him. They may see the glory coming out of heaven, but they won't know what it is. So how will every eye see him, as Jesus says? How will they know it is him? Well, We can go to the prophet Zechariah in chapter 9 and, and, and verse 14 and it says that Jehovah, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, will be seen over them, that is over Israel, and his arrow shall go forth as the lightning, and the Lord Jehovah will blow the trumpet and will march with the whirlwinds of the south, and Jehovah of hosts will defend them, that is the nation of Israel. But whatever point he comes out of heaven, the only way that every eye is going to see him is that he has to make a circuit around the earth and end that circuit right over to the westernmost point of the nation of Israel, which is by the Mediterranean Sea. And that way there's, there's, there's a clear view of the uh, plains of Megiddo, if you will. And uh, at that point, Zacharias is saying that he is coming to defend and to deliver the nation of Israel. And Zacharias is saying this by the Spirit of God, that Jehovah will be seen over them. They're going to see him. He is not going to, if you will, come down on the Mount of Olivet. He is seen above them. And therefore, he remains fixed in the midst of heaven where he can be seen and positioned, if you will, as I mentioned, on the western side of the nation, Mediterranean Sea side, with a clear view of the plains of Megiddo, where a multi-million man army has been gathered and marching against the nation of Israel. Now, some things we need to learn about the events just after his glorious appearing. One is there's going to be warfare. As we are told in verse 14, that he will blow the trumpet. And and this is significant because before the battle is engaged, typically trumpets are blown in that part of the world. And it signals the start of warfare. However... What is unique is the type of warfare that our Lord Jesus uses to do battle because he's about to do battle with perhaps an army of, in the proximity of 500 to 700 million strong. The scripture tells us, we don't have time to go into it, that uh, 200 million comprised the armies of the East uh, coming across the the, um, Euphrates River, which at this point has been dried up And then we have armies coming from the African continent added together with the armies of the Antichrist from the European and northern sectors. And one of the the weapons, if you will, of our Lord Jesus was blindness. Zechariah 12 and 4 says that in that day, Jehovah will smite every horse with astonishment. That is, they will be bewildered, shocked, confused and his rider with madness. Now, you've you've heard people say, oh, that that person is crazy. (laughs) This is what the Lord Jesus uses to fight this multi-million man army. And Zacharias continues to say, and he will smite every horse of the peoples with blindness. Blindness. Imagine an army of 700 million confused, shocked, crazed, blind soldiers. And the Lord Jesus will use similar spiritual weapons that he used in the Old Testament when he delivered his people so that he may create confusion and blind the soldiers so that they wouldn't even know who they're fighting. And he will even blind the horses themselves. There will be utter chaos in the battlefield. In fact, A similar method was used in Judges uh, chapter 7 concerning Gideon. And and Gideon, the scripture tells us that that, uh, the 300 blew their trumpets, and Jehovah set every man's sword against his fellow, that is, the Midianites, even throughout the camp. So God used 300 men to defeat a multitude that were without number, And they were completely outnumbered. In fact, the scripture says that Midian came with Amalek and all the children of the east, and they lay along the valley as locusts for multitude. And their camels were without number, like the sand upon the seashore, for multitude. Yet, God defeated them by causing confusion, resulting in the armies of of Israel's enemies to literally destroy themselves. Another weapon that Jehovah used in times past was plagues. And so he's repeating, if you will, a similar pattern as he did uh, when he delivered uh, Israel out of Egypt. And so he's addressing a a multi-million man army of soldiers on the eastern side of the nation of Israel. And Zacharias also addressed this in chapter 14, first three or four verses, and he says, Jehovah will go forth and fight with those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem, toward the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst, thereof towards the east and towards the west, a great valley. And so now the Lord Jesus has, has descended from heaven and he gave the commanding word. The trumpet was blown and uh, having struck the, the five or, or to 700 million man army with confusion and bewilderment and, and blindness and panic, now he comes down to the Mount of Olives and, and Zacharias continues in chapter 14 and he says, that, uh, that the Lord Jesus uses a new kind of weapon, a different kind of weapon, a plague. Sort of like a standing, in, in my own imagination, it is like a standing onset of leprosy of the eyes, of the tongue, of the feet, of the legs, mixed with panic. And literally, this army is self-destructing while they're standing on their feet. Listen, listen to what the scripture says. And this shall be the plague wherewith Jehovah shall smite all the peoples that have warred against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away where they stand upon their feet, and their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongues shall consume away in their mouths. And it shall come to pass in that day a great panic from Jehovah shall be among them, and they shall lay hold everyone on the hand of his neighbor, and his hands shall rise up against the hand of his neighbor. This is phenomenal. A phenomenal prophecy of the power of our Lord Jesus defending his people, the nation of Israel, and how he will defend, he will defeat you know, multitudes, millions of men by the word of his power. Not even the angels are engaged in this battle, nor the saints who are with him, but the Lord Jesus alone. And the scripture goes on to say in Zechariah 14, and so shall be the plague of the horses, of the mule, of the camel, of the ass, and of all the beasts that shall be in those camps as this plague. Everyone, every, if you can envision this, this site where this army implodes and begins to to attack itself. Unbelievable. So great will be the slaughter of these millions of demonically crazed soldiers seeking to destroy the nation of Israel that it's prophetically stated in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 20 that the blood from these beasts and these men that have been wiped out will be approximately four feet in depth and will run for in excess of 180 miles, give or take. And so having now covered the the subject of his appearing from heaven, (coughs) excuse me, and the defense of Israel, we now come to what I think is the third phase of his coming, and that is this, the judgment of the nations the judgment of the nations. I want to set the stage for the events that are about to unfold by looking at the army accompanying the Lord Jesus Christ, the angels and the saints, the holy ones. And as I mentioned, the the saints are Christians who have fallen asleep in Jesus and those who are alive at the great catching away, the rapture of the church. And I ask this question, is there a purpose that is assigned or a duty that is assigned to each group? Well, let's let's address the Christians. Firstly, Zacharias mentioned that they are coming with him. Okay, chapter 14, verse 5, And Jehovah my God shall come, and all the holy ones with you. I mentioned that before. And again, in, in Jude, just before the book of Revelation, Jude chapter, well, the only chapter, and verse 14, and Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied also as to these saying behold the lord has come against the lord has come uh, amidst his holy myriads to execute judgment against all and to convict all the ungodly of them of all the works of ungodliness And so the saints, the Christians, are given a very special role in the millennial kingdom administration of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, fact, Daniel, in chapter 7, verse 18, states that the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and they shall possess the kingdom forever, even to the ages of ages. And so there's ownership here concerning the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, as well as responsibility to administer in its affairs. And then Daniel, in chapter 7, continues to give additional information in the 22nd verse, and he says that judgment is given to the saints of the Most High. And the appointed time arrived, and, again, the saints possessed the kingdom." So we see here that the Spirit of God alludes to political roles, for lack of a better term. As it says, judgment was given to the saints. And a further reiteration of this is given in uh, the same chapter, verse 27. But the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heavens Shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. And then we make a left turn for the as concerning the angels. So, uh, if you will, I'm going to go back a bit, but from a timeline perspective, this multi-million man army has now been thoroughly defeated and now the Lord Jesus comes down unto Mount Olivet and we are told in Zechariah uh, chapter 14 verse 4 and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives which is before Jerusalem toward the east and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst towards the east and toward the west, and a great valley. And half of the mountain shall be moved toward the north, and the other half toward the south. And so what we have before us is the judgment of the surviving nations about to commence. So let's hypothetically say we have, say, 6.8 billion people on the earth. Right now, At that point, when he has the nations before him, there are probably approximately 3.4 billion people, assuming, again, a total population of roughly 6.8 billion. And they're gathered before him after the slaughter of the army. And this massive earthquake, if you will, just before they've been gathered, has leveled the ground and expanded the land space so that it may contain this many people. And I want you to keep in mind that if the earth has, again, roughly 6.8 billion people, there are two references in the book of Revelation where, in the first reference, a quarter of earth's population has died. And we find this in Revelation 6, verses 7 and 8. And that quarter would equate to roughly 1.7 billion people. And this many people died as a result of the seals that were broken of that little scroll that the Lamb took and opened, out of which came warfare, economic hardship, disease, death, martyrdom, great earthquakes, and the like. And then we have another reference in Revelation 9, uh, the first 15 verses, where the remaining population of roughly 5.1 billion, and again, these are just approximations, of that 5.1 billion, um, Roughly a third, which is 1.7 billion, will have perished. So that leaves us with approximately 3.4 billion people on the earth at the end of the tribulation period. And this additional one-third that will perish, as we're told in Revelation 9, died as a result of demonic locusts and a demonic horde that was unleashed on the remaining murderous population who avidly worshipped Satan and the Antichrist. And then secondly, in Matthew 25 and verse 31, we see that the kingdom is being established. And it says, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then shall he sit down upon his throne of glory, and all the nations shall be gathered before him, and he shall separate them as one from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And so we are given an additional note. I mean, there are lots of scriptures here, but we're given an additional note in Mark chapter 8. In verse 38, that the angels are also present at this event. Angels are merely servants to do the bidding of God in all the affairs of men, and especially what I call the lifting and moving of large numbers of people rapidly. <laughs> you say, really? Yes. <laughs> but that's another subject to be dealt with in a future podcast. But we learn from Matthew 16 and 27 that the purpose of this judgment is to render to each according to his doings, and we'll see shortly that that uh, the basis of this judgment was the treatment of his covenant people, the nation of Israel, whether for good or for ill. In uh, Matthew twenty-four and thirty-one, we have again another event: the gathering of the elect. And he shall send his angels, it says, he shall send his angels with a great sound of trumpet, and they shall gather his elect from the four winds, from one extremity of heaven to the other extremity of them. So here we have the angels doing the heavy lifting. 144,000 Jewish elect evangelists are now being gathered as they have been divinely secured and protected that they might send the gospel forth throughout the whole earth during this seven year tribulation period. And the way that the surviving population treated the elect and the nation of Israel will become the very basis for a person entering into the millennial kingdom or banishment from the kingdom into everlasting destruction. And so these elect souls are now beholding the judgment of the Messiah on this surviving 3.1 billion souls. Now, not only so, but the angels have been sent as reapers to gather the nations before the king of kings. When the Lord Jesus gave the parable of the tares, one of the statements that he made in Matthew 13, uh, verses 37 to 39, was that he, the Son of Man, sows good seed in the earth, that is, those who were responsive to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and embraced the offering of free salvation, forgiveness of sins. But he goes on to say that the enemy, that is the devil, sowed a lookalike, a counterfeit. And this is what we're dealing with throughout the seven year, uh, years of tribulation. Counterfeit Christ, counterfeit prophets, leading men astray. And the Lord Jesus said that the enemy which did this was, of course, the devil. And that his workers should leave them until the harvest is completed, which will be, get this, at the end of the age. The end of the age is the end of Gentile dominion on the earth during which the angels will be sent forth to harvest these souls. And, and, and Matthew chapter 13 verse 49 says, Thus shall it be in the completion of the age. Here it is. The angels shall go forth and sever the wicked from the midst of the just, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. We are before the Mount of Olives, the elect bearing witness to this judgment of earth's survivors. The saints and the angels are also available for this event, that is, the establishment of the millennial kingdom, which they will serve, that is, the saints, as officers in it. And then lastly, we come to the actual judgment of the nations. And this is, of course, addressed in Matthew 25, verses 31, to the end of the chapter. Now, we're only going to read a a snippet of it, because it's fairly lengthy, just to give a sense of what is uh, unfolding before us. And it says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then shall he sit down upon his throne of glory, and all the nations shall be gathered before him. And he shall separate them one from another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And so now the Lord Jesus is about to create a separation of over three billion people. And that separation will be the good and the evil. Those who would enter into the kingdom did so because of their compassionate response to the Jewish people who were being persecuted by the Antichrist. And Jesus said to the sheep on his right, come, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the, earth's, from the world's foundation. And then he says, I hungered and you gave me to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in, naked and you clothed me. I was ill and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and nourished you? And so forth. And the king, answering, shall say to them, Verily I say to you, inasmuch, get this, inasmuch as you have done it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you have done it to me. This was the criteria for entering the kingdom of after the Great Tribulation. These were the people, apart from the saints and the elect Jewish believers, who survived the tribulation, displaying compassion to the Jewish people. And the one-third of the surviving nation of Israel also were ushered into the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have the saints officiating, the surviving uh, uh, people of the nation of Israel, which is roughly one-third. Zechariah said 2 had perished during this seven-year trouble time of trouble. And we have the elect believers. This comprises the group that will uh, eventually repopulate the earth, as it were. And so, my beloved friends and fellow believers, we, all we did was to take a snapshot of these momentous events, which tells us that God has a plan, irrespective of the chaos that, that we see in the world around us. But what is before us, before that time comes, is that we need to prepare for such a time as this. How do we prepare? by learning to walk daily with the living God himself, endeavoring to set aside time in quiet in his presence, to search his word that we might know his will and to do it with all our hearts, and to seek, as we have been encouraged in the Gospels, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Oh, my friends, this is the calling card of the beloved uh, believers. and, and, And this is the note that we highlight every time on Beside Still Waters, that we would reach out and touch the hand of the one who governs the universe
0: and walk with him. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.